I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. Hi, everyone. Jason Klom here. Welcome to the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. Uh, Apologies for the lack of episodes lately. Uh, My biggest roadblock has been nailing down guests. This year, it's just been a bit harder than normal. And um, while I was working full time for a few weeks researching and writing something about Dick Davey, ironically, I had no time to work on the show. So uh, that said, I didn't want to go into the holidays without a new episode of the show for you. Uh, New episodes, actually. Last time on the Family Albums miniseries, I discovered the true identity of long-lost comic Dick Davey. I started this mini-quest because I needed it, and I found exactly what I was looking for. Once I found out his true identity and spoke with his family, though, as obsessions often go, I wondered what else I didn't know. There was plenty, honestly. Knowing someone's name doesn't tell you everything you need to know, and, in fact, there were still plenty of mysteries out there. Specifically, where did he come up with his hillbilly character? How often did he keep up the character offstage? What was he like to perform with? What was he like as a teacher? As I continue to research him, I'm going to hone in on these questions, and some others. Getting answers is going to take some pretty lengthy interviewing and digging, often to find just one golden nugget, some invaluable piece of information that blows things wide open, some discovery that changes the entire landscape of the story I think I have in front of me. Fortunately for me, it's worth it. Fortunately for the show, I record all my interviews. These next few episodes are going to be a little more straightforward than the last one. After all, there's less mystery to be had now, and more of a gradual discovery of who Dick Davey, a.k.a. Richard Hoffman, really was. So, of course, this week I didn't exactly pick up where we left off with Dick Davey in episode 291. Because, really, we already ended in the only place you can end with someone you can't interview about their own life. I had to settle with not knowing the man. I had to feel complete in some way or another, or I wouldn't be able to stop thinking about him. Thing is, I did stop thinking about him. Sort of. Not right away. And honestly, not really at all. Much as I gave myself a break on deep dive research, within a few weeks of releasing the first Dick Davey episode, I'd interviewed another of Dick's relatives and a Midwestern historian who had heard Dick Davey on the radio during a peculiar, fun, and particularly interesting to me PR stunt. These episodes are a way to get those two interviews out there finally, so that while I slowly build up the Dick Davey archive, maybe I can build more interest in Dick's life and work. Lately, I've been finding myself hit with familiar feelings that are all but out of place when doing this kind of research. I've been thinking to myself, I just need to find Dick Davey so I can ask him this question, or I can't wait to find out what Dick Davey has to say about this. And then the feeling that you get when you've lost a loved one and go to pick up the phone to call them creeps in. Make no mistake, this isn't the same thing. I wasn't fortunate enough to know the man, and I haven't earned the resulting ennui, but something like it is there, and for good reason. It's something I've come to realize was the reason I was suddenly on this research jag again in the first place. In April of last year, I closed out an episode of this podcast with a little piece of personal information. I don't do that often, but it was important to me. It was about a friend of mine who'd gone missing, Mike Shaver. Mike was instrumental in my pursuing a career in entertainment, and he not only informed my comedy tastes, but also loved comedy records, specifically the Smothers Brothers at the Purple Onion. Many of us had lost touch with Mike, and had assumed he'd just gone off the grid for whatever reasons he might have. That April, I was already past my own middling ability to research a missing person at all. It felt hopeless, but I tried to express my hope for hope, and did all I could do, essentially keeping my fingers crossed as I moved on with life. Two months later, something happened that I didn't address on this show. 
we discovered that Mike had died. One of my best friends from childhood was gone for good, and there was no amount of research that would help with that. That's when I started remembering that there was a mystery I hadn't cracked yet. There was a thread somewhere that I could pick up and follow, and even if it ended in death, it wouldn't be the same. It wasn't the same. In fact, I found out more than enough to know that Dick and I probably would have gotten along pretty well. While I found out Dick Davies' identity in a considerably short amount of time, the one thing I hadn't cracked, and won't, is why he did what he did and how. That is the truth of this kind of research. It might not ever end for me, but it's a way to keep Dick's legacy alive, and to keep myself on a relentlessly hopeful adventure. One where I know the ending, but where the more I dig, the more complicated a person I find. Now is the time to find out as much as I can about Dick Davy after the fact. It's the time to see what's out there. When you know the ending, you can really revel in the details that sit there in that whole messy middle section we call life. My follow-up comes in three parts. This week, we'll speak to Dick's cousin, Carolyn, a nice conversation about what she remembers growing up with Dick. Next week, we'll speak with Stephen K. Hauser, a history professor in Wisconsin, who grew up listening to local radio and one day found himself fascinated with a guest who'd blown through town, this guy with a southern accent who got along famously with his local DJ. In part three, I'll give you an update in the form of an interview with Firesign Theater archivist Taylor Jessen on the Dick Davey Archive, the current public contents of which you can now find hosted at comedyarchive.org. So now, please enjoy my conversation with Dick's cousin Carolyn. Well, I knew him uh, as a child, or I mean as a, uh, well, I guess maybe he was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I just remember uh, Dick and his brother Dan coming to visit us in Philadelphia, and oh, I felt so good walking with two tall young men. <laughs> <laughs> they were my cousins. Um and he was sort of a happy-go-lucky kind of guy, always sort of with a twinkle in his eye, a little mischievous twinkle. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't really keep up a, a, a close relationship. Um, as he went to college, I don't think I had contact with him. But I did go to his wedding, which I remember as being um, a more unconventional wedding. Oh, really? Where they wrote their own vows, which uh, back in that day was not really done that much. Weddings were pretty much cut and dried the way you're supposed to say it. Yeah. Uh, So that wedding remained in my uh, memory for quite a while. I don't think I saw him and his wife, but I did hear that he had a child. Mm -hmm. I have one other memory, I guess, long after Dick separated from his wife and his child. Our uncle, which would be his father's brother and my father's brother, um, who had been living in Washington, came to New York, and he wanted to meet with his nieces and nephews. Mm-hmm. And we met someplace, I don't know why I think of Central Park, but I just remember meeting in some outdoor place. And what Dick said to me has never left my memory. Uh-huh. 
I, I'm trying to think how old I was. Maybe I was in my 40s. I don't know. But he looked at me, and he said, Hey, you look great. Did you have a, 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 face, a face job? <laughs> and I was shocked. <laughs> oh, my God. I was shocked, first of all. Um, it's not something I would do. Uh-huh. <laughs> Number two is it's just, you know, it was... Um, it was a strange thing yeah. to say to somebody. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I, that's um, the only member, remembrance I have of that visit with our uncle, which I think we probably <clears throat> concentrated on our visit with him. I think at that time he was teaching. Mm-hmm. And... That's about all I remember. I think he, I sort of remember he, he sang, uh-huh. uh, and played the guitar or something. But I don't. That's not too clear in my mind, except from what I learned later. Okay. Okay. Um, then there was a big void until, and somehow I knew that. Uh, Dick had broken relationships with his father and his brother. Uh-huh. I guess I just learned that hearsay, maybe from our uncle, who was the one he was closest to. Mm-hmm. Um, the next time I saw Dick was when his father died. That was Isidore, Rabbi Isidore Hoffman, who was the... Um, religious advisor at, at Columbia. Right. And I've m- run into many people who remembered him because they went to Columbia, and, and uh, that's how they remember meeting him. Sure. Um, so my sister from Philadelphia, and I guess my sister from New Jersey, we all went to Isidore's funeral. And both Dick and his brother Dan were there, but uh, not sitting together. Uh-huh. And I know that Leon, this is the uncle that he was closest with, uh, had spoken to Dick, and Dick said he wanted to meet with his cousins and his family. So can we go out to lunch afterwards? So we did. But Dan did not go. Okay. He would not be in the presence of his brother. Uh-huh. And that's all I know. Somehow, um, I don't know how I knew, but I somehow assumed that he died or somebody must have said that he died. Right. Until I heard from you. Huh. No, until I heard from Sharon. From Sharon, right. Uh, which was also a new family connection through uh, her finding me through, I don't know, Facebook or what, however she found me. Uh-huh. I didn't, I, I knew that... Uh, Dan had two daughters, mm-hmm. and I think they both were there at 
Leon's 100th birthday. Leon lived, I don't know whether he reached 101 or not, but there was a big birthday party for him in Washington where he lived. Uh And Dan came in with his three children, his two daughters and his son. But I don't remember much about Sharon. Uh, so when she made contact with me, it was, oh, it was wonderful. We we talked and talked and talked, and then I heard, you know, how you made connection with her. Uh-huh. So that's about all I can tell you. I did speak to my sister, Ruth, who lives in Philadelphia, who's 96. Mm-hmm. And... She claims that Dick was angry at his father, Mm -hmm. she thought, because his father had another lady friend. I don't know if you knew about that. That's the second time I've heard this. So it's it's getting uh, more Uh, and more clear, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, After his wife, my aunt uh, Hilda, after she died, I think they were... Um, he, it was made clear that uh, who she was, uh-huh, uh-huh. but I wasn't aware how long this had been going on when his wife was alive. Sure. So the other thing was that um, maybe his father was disappointed in him because he was not pursuing a career that um, his father thought was Worthy of the Hoffman name. <laughs> right, right. I had wondered that myself, um, yeah. Uh, one of the things that I was really curious about and wanted to clear up is, you know, you never know how close an extended family is going to be. So, you know, you you are just, you're going to be as privy to these rumors uh, just as much as any anybody else. You're not 100% sure how Dick was perceived, although you're the first person to refer to him as Dick. So the, I, I, it's good to know that he was called that by people who were close to him oh, as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah, never Richard. Yeah. No. No. Now, I'll tell you one other thing. Yeah. <clears throat> I called my sister, and um, I asked what memories that she had. Uh, of course, she remembered the, the funeral, because that was uh, the last, I guess, we saw Dick. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bruce said that she once saw Dick perform in a nightclub in New York. Mm-hmm. He was singing and playing the guitar. And I said, well, how come you went there? Because she was living in Philadelphia. And she didn't remember. Huh. <laughs> but she said she went, and she went to some nightclub, and she was performing. That's all she remembered. I don't think she had contact with him after that. Right. Uh, so there must have been... Some contact, either with her or through our uncle Leon. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the only memory she could uh, add to what I've told you. That's so interesting. You know, there's so many. Some of the biggest gaps are, you know, I, I don't know how or why he even got into entertainment. I uh, I can tell you that for sure he he followed in his father's footsteps in that. He re- he clearly remained a pacifist and and quite a you know he, he yeah, that th- was interesting yeah. yeah yeah 
I think he probably found that he worked with incorrigible kids, Mm -hmm. very difficult school, and he probably found he could um, get their attention and um, by performing. Yeah, yeah, very likely, very likely, and he, he and he started. Seemingly quite early, and I've I found a few different things where recently, actually, I, I had found a mention of, of a of a Dick Day or a Richard Davy who was in this little trio, but they were in Wisconsin. I'm like, ah, oh, that's not him. But then I found some more evidence. It actually was him. He was in Wisconsin for a while. He he had quite a weird journeyman's uh <laughs> life. And I oh man, there are some gaps that I'm I'm hoping I can fill in between now and the next time I because I'm going to do another episode with this because there's yeah, so well much now more. tell me why are you doing this uh well I was when that gentleman came on my podcast and told me he didn't know anything about Dick Davey I internally took that as a I was like oh wow really oh I'm, I'm gonna have to do some hunting maybe maybe you don't have the time to search but oh. I, I definitely do so I decided I would who told you that uh, his name was Cliff who? Nesteroff uh, and he's a he's a comedy historian. Uh, he used to be a stand up comic himself. He's a Canadian, and um, he wrote uh, 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 only a few months before Richard died. Only uh, Dick died. He didn't know this that that he ha- he was going to pass away. Obviously, he didn't know where he was. He wrote this article online that until recently was the only blog or any information about Dick Davy, as he called himself, and. Um, and because of that, he, he chose Dick Davey albums to talk about on my podcast. And I said, great, tell me something about him. And he's like, well, I don't really know much about him. I just know how, how much I like his comedy. And I got drawn to him because of that. I got drawn to him because I love politically conscious comedy that actually tries to make a difference. And the more I think about it, I'm obviously drawn to anybody who uh, has tried to uh, teach the youth of of America who are kind of on a bad path because I I went to an alternative school myself and um I don't know I'm I'm drawn to him for a number of reasons but it was mostly to solve the mystery at first Yeah it's a challenge Yeah Yeah Well it's been fascinating and I'm so glad to know I mean it's I we have three cousins in Israel uh-huh. That's um the the there were two aunts, and one of them went to Israel when it was Palestine after she graduated from Smith College. She went in, I guess, must have been the late 20s, uh-huh. uh, when it was just, um, it was nothing but a very poor country. Right. And she ended up marrying uh, a European and had three daughters. And I've been closer to them than I have been to my New York cousins, Dick and Dan. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, so interesting. Um, I pass that information on to the one uh, cousin who's alive, and uh, two of them, one died, and and the other is pretty far gone. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. I pass the information on to to her. She was fascinated also because. Um, it's been a, a mystery, mm-hmm. and um, there were no there were no family reunions. Uh-huh. So there was no great opportunity unless uh, we would go to New York or they would come to Philadelphia for some reason. Right, and that's why we would have contact. My his. Um, 
his mother, mm-hmm. Hilda, used to like to find a nice young man in New York for me to come <laughs> to New York to visit. <laughs> and I remember visiting their apartment in New York many times uh, on Riverside Drive. That's where they lived. Uh-huh. And where I guess part of his youth he spent there. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's... I don't know at what, what point he moved to New York. I, I do wonder, actually, there there was uh, something, when I spoke to Sharon, she did mention to me, um, she's like, you know, I think one thing that you, you might want to, like, just to understand better is that they, at least the way Dan has portray- portrayed it his whole life, is that the family was not by any means well off. They did fine, even though they lived there. I'm curious, like, what did that, can you describe that apartment? Because that's something I haven't gotten anybody to be able to go into detail about. What, what did their living uh... seem like? Not really. It was a, a typical New York apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, stuffy. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? There was a room I think his father had, like an office. His father was wonderful talking to people. Mm-hmm. And as was my father, they had a, a, a gift of um, trying to draw young people out. And I guess that's why. He was successful as a, uh, I guess, you, a chaplain, religious advisor. He he was not a rabbi with a pulpit mm-hmm. and a congregation, but I know many people who remember him, uh, so they must have gotten to know him. Yeah. So when I would go to visit New York, it would be Isidore, his father, who wanted to engage me in conversation, and it was his mother who wanted to fix me up with a boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) She did a couple times, and I didn't like who she fixed me up with, so I didn't go to New York that often. (laughs) His mother was not... um... Dick was more like his mother. His his mother was not the intellect that his father and his uncles and grandfathers were. Uh-huh. They were more intellectual. Um, but I think Dick looked more like his his mother, and I think he was a little more carefree as his mother was. Huh. But that's, you know, going back a long time. Sure, of so, course, of course. No, yeah, that's... Yeah. That, uh, those are those are little details that you're I might not get from anybody else boy that's I, I'll tell you you know yeah what? Uh, give me one second if you would I just realized my phone's about to die I want to plug it in I don't want to lose you one second did not realize it sorry one second I think I plugged it in just in time. Sorry about that. Okay. 
Uh, so yeah, I, uh, yeah, shoot. I just think I I think now I understand why he was closer to his uncle Leon, who was the uh, the younger brother, mm-hmm. who was also a person that had many different jobs, um, different women, mm-hmm. and was much more adventuresome and carefree. Yeah. So I can see why he connected more with him. Than my father, who was pretty straight. Mm-hmm. My father was a teacher. Uh huh. And um, also didn't live close by. But Leon was in New York. He was in Palestine. He was in Israel. He was in Washington. He had different jobs. Yeah. But somehow uh, Dick uh, was closer to him. Do you know, are any of Leon's children still around? Leon's daughter, again, I don't know. This would be the daughter from his second wife. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's alive. Okay. At, and his son may be in Washington. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was quite a brilliant mathematician i believe oh okay um jev jev wow well, i'm trying to think what his name is zev something like that okay but again i didn't know him he was much younger uh because leon had no children by his first wife. Okay. And so the children from his second wife, which was many years later, were much younger than I was, and they also were in Washington. I think they may have been at, at that birthday party when he was 100, because mm-hmm. they must have organized it. That makes sense. Because all the rest of us came in from out of town. Right. But I've had no contact over the years with him. I wouldn't even know how to get in touch with him. I'm sure I can. I'll do some digging, as usual. <laughs> I, I have well, no problem Well, you know the that. last name. Yeah, that's easy enough, right? <laughs> um, and I would guess, uh, I'm trying to think how old he would be. Uh, I I don't know. I have no problem doing some digging. This yeah. is this will well, this will be right. it'll be it'll be fun. Something else for you. Yeah, um he certainly would would fill in about his father whether he knew his father's relationship with Dick, I don't know. Right, right. He'll have a he'll have a good idea, I would imagine, maybe. Yeah. I hope um man that's wonderful you you've given me a lot to to think about i I actually interviewed a gentleman right before you well about an hour or two before you who did not know your uncle but who lived in wisconsin and heard him on the radio with a local uh like a, a local dj and this dj was locally popular and he did a joke presidential campaign which is i'm fascinated with fake presidential campaigns and 
he decided, mostly probably due to the popularity of your uncle's records, that he would make him his vice presidential candidate. So whenever he came on, that's what they talked about was their their fake presidential and vice presidential campaigns. And it was uh, kind of a lot of fun. And because of that little that little bit of PR, this guy has been fascinated with your uncle for the rest of his life, and he really loves his comedy. So it was kind of fun to talk to him about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, um, Isidore had two religions. Uh-huh. You know, he was a Quaker as well as a Jew. He, uh, that's where the pacifism comes in. I did not know that part. Yeah. I don't know if he affiliated formally mm-hmm. with a Quaker, but um, that's where the pacifism came into his life. It didn't come in through his uh, his studies at the seminary or however he got his ordination. Uh-huh. That's fascinating. That that's that's a new piece of it. Now, am I right that Leon is is he wrote a book about Hannah, right? Hannah yeah. was yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I must have that book somewhere. Oh, she was fascinating. Oh, yeah. She was the the really colorful one. This is the one who, when she left Smith, went to Palestine, mm-hmm. and really. Dug the earth and helped create the country and settled there. She and her husband had orange groves. And my cousin, who's alive, the one I keep up with, lives right next door to where her mother lived in that same uh, area. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, she was a vibrant person. And uh, she came here. Her father, our, our grandfather, Dick, my Dick, damn my, my grandfather, was um, a rabbi. Who I assume you're not, you're not Jewish. So I will explain to you. Please well, you do. know there are three branches of Judaism: the Orthodox and the Conservative and the Reform. Does that ring a bell? Yes. Okay. Our grandfather uh, became the first conservative rabbi because he met the man whose name was Solomon Schechter, who was the inspiration for this uh, change away from the Orthodox to uh, conservative, which is not quite as rigid and a little different interpretation okay um and they established the jewish theological seminary which is in new york and our grandfather was in that first graduating class and he became a rabbi in uh in newark new jersey Mm -hmm. uh when i left philadelphia and got married to somebody in New Jersey, I met people here who were married by my grandfather, because <laughs> they belonged to his congregation. Yeah. So, um, so that's, so Isidore grew up in a very um, religious environment, and as I recall visiting our grandparents, 
it was not the way conservative Jews observe their religion today. It was more like the Orthodox Jews, where uh, they won't turn a light on on the Sabbath, and they won't cook, and they won't, you know, it's very uh, restrictive Mm -hmm. form of the religion. I'm sure that, um, oh, I have memories of going to that house. (laughs) All right. Um, So that um, his father, Isidore, grew up in, and my father grew up in a a religious household. Although it was interesting that our grandfather had his first career as a lawyer, and it was in his, uh, maybe it was his 40s, he decided to give up law and go into uh, religion. That's interesting. I think I remember seeing that. that. Yeah, okay. That was quite unusual. Yeah. I don't know anything about his law career. Mm -hmm. I just remember him as a rabbi. It was a very commanding-looking person with a long white beard. I'm just looking at a picture of him right now Uh because I have family pictures. (laughs) Wonderful. Uh, And um, he had a booming voice, and he was quite an orator. So that's the way... Dick's father grew up in that household, and yeah. that's the grandfather that he had. Man, that's fascinating. I, you know, I but think I, I don't know that that fits into the picture. Or... It, well, you know, it does though, because I, well, partially it explains a few things. Because when I was originally doing some digging, if I see that that somebody's a lawyer and I expect them to be a rabbi, I would sometimes, uh, you know, be, oh, I must be looking at the wrong one. So I, I went down a few path, the wrong paths, a few times when I would get thrown, especially like when I saw that, oh, upstate New York, there's no way they're in upstate New York, because in this interview he said he was in New York, uh, New York City his whole life. Well, uh, Dan set me straight on that one, uh, you know. So there's little yeah. things. It's always good to get, uh, you know, uh, family histories are obvious, and obviously yours is very strong. It, it's good to have those things. I, I'm fascinated by them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I feel badly. I've often felt badly that our family wasn't as close as I wished it would be. When I hear friends having these big family gatherings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had them when somebody got married or somebody died. Yep, yep. <laughs> and that was unfortunate. Yeah, I can relate to that. That's that's very and much And now on my with life. my own children that are probably your age, I don't know how old you are. How old are you? <laughs> I'm 38. Oh, you're very young. My <laughs> kids are, uh, let's see, my oldest granddaughter is 32. So mm-hmm. my uh, children are... Uh, my son is 63, mm-hmm. and I have twin daughters who are 61. Oh, okay. Or will be next month. So I was successful because I had a 90th birthday in December. And what I wished for was to have all of my children and grandchildren together. And I was able to have that wish fulfilled. That's pretty good. And it was so heartwarming to me to see them interact because um, 
they're they're cousins, right? You know, and they don't have a chance to really get to know each other. And three of them are in California now. Oh, really? Okay. Two of them are working, and one's a freshman at Stanford. Really? Okay. Oh, he's he. Watch for the rowing team. He is a. Uh, oh, I'm bragging now. <laughs> <laughs> he. He started rowing in, in high school and won all kinds of uh, races and then became the top in Philadelphia and then entered all kinds of regional things. I'm going to skip to the last two years. He was in international rowing competition for that would be high school age kids. Last year, he was in the Czech Republic, and the year before, oh, Lithuania. Wow. Anyway, he was a senior in high school last year. Mm-hmm. He's a very good student and wants to go into engineering. And one of the places that he applied to was Stanford. Mm-hmm. And that uh, Stanford, I'm sure you know, has a... Um, rowing team that they're proud of, yeah. and they found him, I guess, when he was visiting the campus and spoke to my daughter and said, we'd like to have your son go here, and they offered him a full four-year scholarship. Wow. Wow. That's remarkable. So he is a freshman at Stanford, and he's a good student. He probably could have gotten in on on his own record, but this certainly um, pushed him. So of course. watch out for James Wright, <laughs> W-R-I-G-H-T. <laughs> they're, they're, I guess they start in the spring, uh-huh. and it's a lot of... Did you ever read Boys in the Boat? No. Uh-uh. Oh, read that book. Oh, that's wonderful. That tells you a lot about all the... Uh, uh, the the rowing skills and the rowing competition among uh, college, various universities. Uh-huh. So, any rate, so he's he's out at Stanford. That's wonderful. So now you know some of my family. History. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, it's it's nice when people you know keep track of that stuff. I'm uh, I'm I'm always you know I. <laughs> It's one of those things. I, I started doing a podcast trying to dig into my own family history and then also just dig into things about my last name because it's an unusual name even for Germans. Uh, and so just doing some digging, and you realize, oh, your family doesn't really know anything because they didn't pass anything down. We're not the most communicative family. And it's nice to meet a family <laughs> who at least knows something about the rest of their family. <laughs> also, I got we have well, to let me tell you <laughs> yeah. about his uh, James brother, who's also in California. Uh huh. He's working for SpaceX. Really? Oh my God! Yeah. Well, let me tell you, I'm really I can brag to you because I don't, uh, you know, I don't care who you tell. <laughs> um, James' older brother, mm-hmm. Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Went to University of Pennsylvania and in engineering, and um, at the, he was in a master's program. So at the end of his, uh, he would have had another year past the four years of college to get his master's. Mm-hmm. So I expected to go to his graduation 
after four years, but my daughter said, oh, wait, come next year when he gets his master's. Yeah. So at the end of that four years, I said, is he back in, in college? She said, no. Mm-hmm. He was offered two internships. One was with SpaceX, and the other was with Blue... Oh, the one that um, Bezos started. Oh, yes. Blue Star or something like that, uh-huh. up in Washington, also in the space industry. Uh-huh. So that's why he didn't go to graduate school. He spent a, half a year with one company and half a year with the other. Mm-hmm. And they both offered him full-time jobs. Wow. Ridiculous. That's amazing. I don't know if he's ever going to get a master's. Right. Whether he stays in the space industry or not, I don't know. But he's with SpaceX. That's amazing. At the bottom of the line, obviously, he's, uh, you know, just out of college one year. Mm Mm-hmm. That's amazing. But um, when I asked him to tell me what he does there, and he started to talk, I (laughs) said, stop I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> That's amazing. At any rate, it's really exciting to see what you young people are doing today. Because <laughs> it's uh, certainly not the kind of thing that I grew up with, where right. careers were pretty much uh, cut and dried. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I also do hope that uh, everybody in the family is passing on to these uh, next generations of how the hell to live past 100, because it just keeps happening in your family. Everybody in your family, got, you, you, they, you're doing okay. Everybody, they're doing okay, which is pretty great. Uh, you, more longevity than my family has. I don't, I don't know what you guys are doing right, but well done. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know. Now, my father died when he was 77. Okay. Well, still average. My but... mother, I think, was 86. Okay. And I think our grandparents lived to their 80s. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. And I'm not sure how old Isidore, uh, Dick's father, was I'm when he died. Trying to remember. I did know that at one point, but I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, um... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It's good and it isn't. Sure. You know, it's good if you've got your head on your shoulders of and course. your body works okay. Yep. But when you get into your 90s, lots of things begin to wear out. Sure. And it's not so easy. But if I can keep my head on my shoulders and can still get around, which I can, mm-hmm. uh, I'm very grateful because I see just the opposite around and of course lost a lot of friends of course of course and that's that that cannot be easy but i you wouldn't even believe how how i don't know this this has been it's very kind of you to sit down and just i don't know everybody in your family has been so outgoing about this do you know this would actually be something to uh, i'd be curious about do the younger generations what do you know what their their concept of where they're coming from is i mean do they know like how important is Isidore was um, in that community or anything like I that? I think um, I th- two of my kids are really interested in family history. Okay. Um, my daughter Judy, particularly, she took all of um, Hannah's letters that she wrote to my mother, mm-hmm. and she typed them all up and put them in a book. Mm-hmm. 
and she's she's really interested in family history. And my son is a collector of all kinds of things, uh-huh. and he 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 has pride in his family. Uh, he belongs to the congregation that my grandfather was the rabbi of, but the congregation is no longer in Newark. It's in a suburb called South Orange. Mm-hmm. And I know he takes pride in that because there was some plaque in the hall, uh, you know, where they uh, remember past rabbis. And uh-huh. when my son saw that it needed repair, he undertook that. So he wanted, you know, he wanted to keep up the good Hoffman name. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, I don't know with the grandchildren. Uh, it is important not to lose it. There is a wonderful family history that was done many years ago by a member of the family. And I will tell you the most important member of the family, whose name is not Hoffman, mm-hmm. but his name was J. Robert Oppenheimer, mm. who is the father, who was the one who worked on the development of the atomic bomb. Yes. You know that name? I do, yeah. Okay. When... I mentioned it to my granddaughter when she was old enough to understand. She was very upset. Sure. Because she knew what the atomic bomb did. Yeah. But he is a cousin, I guess a second cousin of my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know whether my father ever met him, but he's in our family tree. There's a whole booklet. There's some famous people in that um, family. Mm-hmm. Um, on my grandmother's side, they go way back into the early part of the United States, which makes me a daughter of the American Revolution. Wow. Because our oldest ancestor, the one that was traced back the farthest, was uh, known, no, why can't I remember his name? I'll think of it in a minute. He supposedly lent money to George Washington during the um, revolution. Uh-huh. Aaronsburg, Aaron Levy was his name. Okay. From Pennsylvania. There's a town in Pennsylvania named after him. Mm-hmm. And he's the one furthest back on my grandmother's side. Wow. That's why I say I can be the daughter of the American Revolution, which I don't want to be. (laughs) uh, So it, it is an interesting family. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. And please catch up with us next week when we talk about Dick Davies' political aspirations. Sort of. Dr. Bob decided he was going to run for president of the United States. Uh, in the way Pat Paulson did, yeah. or, or actually in the way Mark Twain did back in the uh, 1880s when he uh, launched a uh, full presidential campaign and uh, uh, did it just to lampoon the uh, uh, the bigwigs of his time. 
Well, Dr. Bob uh, decided he was going to run for president as the WAWA sole power candidate, printed up some buttons and bumper stickers, and uh, when Dick Davey arrived in town, uh, he was uh, uh, coronated, you might say, as Dr. Bob's uh, running mate. Historian Stephen K. Hauser, next week on the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. Till then, happy holidays, happy new year, and have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. Stolen Dress Entertainment. Hey, it's my turn. Ah! <laughs> Hi everyone, Dick Daisy. Dick Davy here. Really? Alright, that's a mental problem. <clears throat> Hi everyone, Jason Klom here. Mm-hmm.